Hey, y'all, welcome to Amaze Way. Uh, come on in and grab a seat. Um, grab your uh, order of worship, our gathering tonight. And uh, there's also a scripture passage, Matthew, you want to grab? And uh, find a seat, and we'll get going. Uh, we're going to start tonight um, as we move our way into darkness here over the next few weeks, uh, move into Advent. We're going to start with our call to gather tonight, which is a psalm, Psalm 19. Did you guys actually get an extra hour of sleep or did you stay up later because you had an extra hour? You know, that's always the question, right? We're going to um, start with this uh, psalm, Psalm 19. We've done it a few times before, but I'll teach you the chorus again in case you haven't heard this one. Um, we're going to be talking tonight about the kingdom of God as we Dan has talked some about it with our uh, practices at Emmaus Way, but we're going to continue this conversation. A lot of our conversation at Advent circles around the kingdom and what it, what that means, what it's like to try to live into the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God being at hand, as Jesus told us, what does that mean? Um, so anyway, uh, one of the places that I think we, we see it, we get a glimpse of uh, God's work and care for us is in creation. That's something that the psalmists like to talk about. So again, Psalm 19. I'll do the chorus for you. It goes. The heavens declare the glory of our God. Speech pours forth in the sun's warmth. Heavens declare the glory of our God. It's melody, a canopy of joy. Cover me, cover me, Lord. That again, heavens declare. Heavens declare the glory of our God. The speech pours forth in the sun's warmth. Heavens declare the glory of our God. This melody cannot be of joy. Cover me, cover me. See the sky stretch so far, and I find it hard not to believe. I feel the sun like the heat. Holy Creator cries, There's no escaping me, no escaping me, no hiding from the heat. And the heavens declare the glory of our God. His speech pours forth sun's warmth. Heavens declare the glory of our God. His melody canopy of joy cover me. light. It's radiant and bright, ever reviving me. I want to trust, want to see. Forgive the hidden thoughts, the willful sin in me. All the sin in me set me free. 
Welcome to Emmaus Way. My name is Dan Rhodes and I'm one of the pastors here. Um, I want to welcome you. You all look very rested. Everybody looks like they really enjoy. What a great day to have an extra hour, huh? You know? Wonderful time. Um, we at Emmaus Way are a community of people who have been captured by the intrusion of God into our world in Jesus Christ. We are a people who understand that God's involvement with the world is one of redemption, that God is reclaiming his creation. And that we as a people are interested in finding how we can participate in that, uh, especially here in Durham and uh, the local community, finding places where that form of redemption and recreation is taking place and where we can find that. So for those of you that are new with us, I want to extend a good welcome to you. Um, if you want to be in touch with a minister, please see myself, Tim, uh, Amy, or Wade. Uh, you can also email us. Our uh, emails are on the form that you have there, the liturgy for the night. Um, if you'd like to do coffee or if you'd like to catch up, just find out more about the church, please feel free to email us. Um, I have a couple announcements uh, for tonight. The first thing is that um, we're actually going to begin doing, there's a lot of interest right now in our small groups, and we're going to do a little bit of some ask of our small groups to kind of 
maybe split and create more space for people. There's a, a large group of people that are really interested in coming into small groups. So those of you that are in small groups, look for an email or a conversation from either Amy or Elizabeth to talk to you about some of that. Um, we're trying to find more places because we've got a lot of people that are interested in that. So if you're new and you are interested in finding a small group, locating with a smaller group of people that you can meet with on a weekly basis, get to know, uh, invest time with, and find friendship with, uh, it would be a great time to be in touch with Elizabeth. Her email is also on your liturgy tonight. It's Elizabeth Eford, and she's the one to connect uh, with about small groups. Um, we also have kind of a general open small group every week that meets at the pub. It's our pub group. We usually do a reading. Um, we meet at the pub right down here off of Main Street, uh, Bull McCabe's, uh, about 8.15. Um, if you're interested in that, email me, and I'll put you on our email list. Um, we'd love to have you. Thursday night. Thursday night, sorry, did I not say that? Okay, Thursday nights, don't just show up any night. <laughs> Although you might find some of us there on any night. But <laughs> The other thing, uh, another announcement that I have is we're uh, going to postpone the Ecclesia meeting that was supposed to be in two weeks. Um, we're going to postpone that to January. We've got a few people that are going to be out of town and we're still working on some of the details of getting together some of the budgets and different stuff like that. So we're going to postpone that uh, to January when we can have more people in place. Uh, and more information for you. But you should look for a straw man budget over email, is that right? That, that's going to come out, so uh, as we get those numbers more figured out, um, look for that. Um, next week we have a baby dedication coming up, uh, so there are already people in line for that, but if you are interested in that, this would be the week, this is really probably the last chance to get in touch with either Amy or Tim or myself, uh, and we can get you on the list for that and help you understand what that means. and think through that with you. So if you're interested in that, this would really be the week or the day to kind of take, uh, take advantage of that. Um, we also have some things Emmaus Waywise coming up uh, as a corporate gathering. I know uh, Denise is going to say some things about ABC. We typically every year during Advent do uh, some involvement with Antioch Builds Communities, which is a sister organization of ours in the community that works with ex-offenders. Uh, um, and tries to provide, uh, we usually do a coat drive for that, but we also do um, a lunch serve uh, for Christmas. Um, do you want to say anything more sure, about that? Sure, yeah. Um, I, I, Denise isn't here tonight, but she uh, definitely would like you to know that the coat drive will happen again this year. And what that is is just collecting either old coats from your closet or people that you know, um, or uh, people have bought new coats. Um, and whether that's you know going to Costco or Walmart or whatever, getting stuff and what really goes fast is the double extra large. For some reason, there's a lot of people who could really use a larger size coat than what they have. And so um, that's actually been a huge um, ministry that, that folks get warmth from those. And uh, they go like, you know, they go in a snap. And then also where they hand them out is on Christmas Day at a dinner. And many of us have been there. And there's uh, jobs to serve. There's jobs to clean up. There's jobs to work in the kitchen. There's all kinds of things. And so there'll be a number of us there again uh, this Christmas Day. And it's over at um, Antioch Baptist Church, which is over off of uh, Holloway Street um, in uh, Northeast Central Durham. So um, if you know, there, there'll be ways to, we'll tell you where that is and uh, times and all that stuff. But it's usually, uh, again, around lunchtime on Christmas Day. And it's a lot of, it's a lot of fun, but it's also a great opportunity to meet folks in Durham that you may not run into in your normal everyday running around. And uh, another ask on that, I think uh, a lot of times our community groups will, a lot of our community groups are connected with some of our missional partnerships in the area. And I think ABC is one of those where we're looking to find a, a, a 
small group that would be interested in connecting in a missional partnership. So if you're interested and you think your small group might be interested in connecting uh, with ABC and uh, working, it's, it's not a huge, huge time commitment, but it's one of the ways in which we like to find uh, ourselves in friendship and in connectivity with our uh, local community. Uh, that would be fantastic. So you can either email me about that or one of our ministers or probably Denise. Yeah. Um, the last thing that I'll announce is that we are this week moving back into the lectionary. Um, we're, we've come off of all, uh, all Saints Week and we're moving back into the lectionary with um, Matthew 25. Uh, and we're building up toward the start of the church calendar, which is Advent. Um, and in Advent at Emmaus Way, we celebrate the, the season a little bit differently. Um, we celebrate in ways where we a lot of times have more communal involvement and stations. Um, I'm going to ask Wade to say a little bit more about that, just to give you a heads up as to what will be coming in the next three weeks. Yeah, so at Advent, um, we've had an opportunity to have stations around the room, and so um, we do uh, some music, we sing some carols, that type of thing, but we also have um, things set up where usually there's a station for prayer, usually there's some sort of creative thing going on, whether that's uh, some sort of craft or art going on, and then... um, I think uh, we're working on a photography exhibit this year. We're going to have Advent, um, a, a broader theme of Advent this year is going to be one of the, uh, of the Advent candles. We're going to do the Advent candles, which we didn't do last year, but it's where we light a different candle each week of Advent to lead us up to um, the coming of the Christ child. And so one of those candles is hope, and hope is going to be our theme this year. Um, and I think uh, maybe a subtext would be hope uh, as, as opposed to sentimentality. And so trying to talk about where hope actually comes from, uh, what's difficult about hope during you know, something like Christmas. And so the themes uh, of the different stations will be around hope. And so it'll be a time we'll have, Jenny has been kind enough in the past, I don't know if she'll do it this year, but we've had a mold, a mold wine um, for our communion wine. We've also had a bread that's a little bit more festive. And so it's a way to have... Uh, time to talk and interact and do some art and, and, and connect uh, for a good chunk of the time each week during Advent. Yeah, and it seems like it's always a really special time because, you know, if you've already been to the mall or you've been out, you know, uh, the idea that Christmas is already here, if, if you're in commerce, is a very important thing, right? They want you buying for Christmas. But it's really a neat time in our congregation to kind of really build expectation, to build the expectation toward this magnificent event that in some sense we claim has changed the world. Uh, that makes love possible, that makes hope possible. So we really invite you into a work of building that expectation with us. So it's a really neat time uh, of the year for us and the beginning of the year uh, in the church calendar, as uh, you can tell from uh, our church calendar icon. Um, So that's all to say, welcome to Emmaus Way tonight. Um, uh, We're glad that you're with us and we want to share this time of gathering and worship with you. Thanks, Dan. Um, as we look at our songs of preparation tonight, we're, we picked some songs that are, uh, I think, uh, kind of thematically looking at this idea of the kingdom of God from a couple different perspectives. Bruce Coburn's song, uh, song uh, Wonder Where the Lions Are, is just uh, a, a song where I think he's looking around at his life, looking at the connections in his life in terms of both love and uh, 
seeing things that uh, he, he's just uh, aware of both creation and people, humanity in a way where he's grateful for people and for creation. And uh, I think the, the chorus, which keeps coming back, is, I wonder where the lions are. I'm wondering where the lions are. And I think if you think about that from an early Christian perspective, the lions in the uh, arena that ate a lot of the Christians, um, also sort of the idea of Satan being a roaring lion, I think um, he's kind of saying, I- I'm so aware of eternity, of this idea of the kingdom of God, that I'm actually even wondering where the lions are. So it's really, I think, a song uh, very much of hope, kind of whimsical song of hope. And then Spark is a song where they're talking about the fact that um, love is really the only thing that seems like it can turn things around. That we, um, uh, you know, there's a line in there where we lay our cold weapons down. I think our cold weapons are violence and competition and anger and trying to get ahead. And if we can lay those down for love, then it seems like that's what can turn things around. That's the spark. So... Uh, hear these, sing these with us. Um, if you don't know Bruce Coburn, uh, this is off a record called Dancing in the Dragon's Jaws. And um, so, anyway, he's a Canadian singer songwriter that's been around a long time and it's worth checking out. Looks okay, the world survives into another day Thinking about eternity Some kind of ecstasy's got a hold on me Had another dream about lions at the door They weren't half as frightening as they were before And I'm thinking about eternity some kind of ecstasy's got a hold on me Walls, windows, trees, the waves coming through You'll be in me and I'll be in you Together in eternity Some kind of ecstasy's got a hold on me Where it smells so sweet Or down in the valley Where the river used to be Got my mind on eternity Some kind of ecstasy's Got a hold on me Petroglyphs doing a double take Point the finger at eternity Sitting in the middle of this ecstasy Young men marching helmets shining in the sun Polished and precise like the brain behind the gun should be Got me thinking about eternity Gonna ecstasy's gotta hold on me 
Traders on the nod on the surface of the bay One of these days they're gonna sail away Gonna sail into eternity Some kind of ecstasy's got a hold
obsession with self-preservation Faded when I threw my fear away It's not a thing you can imagine You either lose your fear or spend your life One foot in the grave Is God the last romantic? Sleep with one ear close to the ground And wake up screaming When we lay our co-weapons down We'll wake up advantage every Sunday often when it comes to gathering for for the kind of this worship gathering in Emmaus way I get a chance to hear the music and you know I get to read it think about it I've had this week of dwelling in uh, Matthew 25 which is the lectionary text it's going to be our text for the next three weeks and that song was in many ways the embodiment of the reaction that's being asked for in this 
very intense and strange parable. So thank you. You may even want to keep the lyrics of that around and uh, listen to it. You know, one of the things we do each week is uh, we hope we're constructing a template of worship and prayer for you. So the podcast comes up on Tuesday evenings, Wednesday mornings, Wednesday somewhere by Wednesday noon, it's done, and um, it's an opportunity for you to whether it's music or things that were said to contemplate them again and pray them again. And if you're dwelling in Matthew 25, you'll want to think about Spark some. Um, Tonight, before I send you to the piece, uh, I have a little assignment for you. It won't be hard, but uh, in that box sitting right over there, but this is going to be kind of a little bit of Advent practice for us tonight. But uh, in that box, we're going to start some candles around the room. And so while you are gathering, we, this is typically where we get a chance to stand up and grab some food or beverage if we want to do that, to, to greet each other. If you're around people that you don't know, we've got plenty of guests here tonight uh, to introduce yourself to people that you, you may not know around you. This is the time of year when we've got lots of dear friends here who have been here for two, three, four, five weeks and are already becoming a part of our community. And so I want to give you a chance to do that. But before we kind of uh, come back from the piece, make sure that you have one of these candles that was tried and true from, uh, I guess, Advent 2000 and... Ten. Uh, so get a candle, and as we begin the reading today, um, as we come back from Advent, we're, we're going to drop the lights, and uh, Sarah is going to read the gospel for us. And, and as Sarah begins to read, what we'd like for you to do is just kind of get the lights to kind of go around the room, and it'll make sense to you as you, as you hear the text read to you. So uh, grab a candle, please stand up, greet each other, offer each other the peace of Christ. Hey guys, let's regather. Thanks very much. Uh, uh, especially since the lights are about ready to go down. Don't want any like Emmaus Way gathering injuries tonight. Matthew 25, 1-14. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like this. Ten bridesmaids took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. When the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed... All of them became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a shout, Look, here is the bridegroom, come out and meet him. Then all those bridesmaids got up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise replied, No, there will not be enough for you and for us. You would better go to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. And while they went to buy it, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went with him into the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later the other bridesmaids also came, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he replied, Truly I tell you, I do not know you. Keep awake, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. The word of the Lord. Just want you to sit for just a second before we pull the lights up and remember. Do you, do any of you have memories of very vivid darkness? 
uh, where, I mean, it just, without light, you were out of action. Any, anybody have that, that recollection? Ice storms, yeah, we had one, I think, I think Keenan was about five, so about 10 or 11 years ago, we were out of power for six, six days, and at least in our home. Uh, some of you lucky ones probably got yours back in a day or so. Um, I remember being in Zambia one summer, um, uh, helping, actually, ironically, building lights from a hospital to a generator so that there were lights in a village, and it was so dark when the generator went down. The generator would go down at 10 o'clock at night, and we would often be hanging out in a common house and have to walk back to these multiple, there's about 20 of us, homes that we were staying in, and it was so dark. You couldn't put your hand in front of your face, and inevitably you would end up, you would make the walk, you could feel the path under your feet. Uh, it would feel different than the kind of the savanna type of grass. It, it would be hard, and you would walk into a door and realize that you were in the wrong home. Uh, literally just a slight degree angle put you in the, the wrong location. So as we listen to this, any, any other people have an experience of really, really darkness like that? Ah. Oh. And there's a lot of people in New York the last time I checked uh, for it to be dark. Uh, and, and we forget as we hear this parable tonight of, of, uh, of five bridesmaids and five foolish bridesmaids and, and up at night and no lights. It, it's easy for us to forget uh, how significant light is in places where we don't have that ex instantaneous culture of let there be light. But given that we live in that culture, let there be light. <laughs> so let's, uh, let's pull up the lights. And wait, would you, well, can you grab that lamp right there? People can see. Thank you. You can burn your, you can blow your candles out or you can, if you don't like the person in front of you, you can light them on fire or something like that. Uh, probably not the most healthy and peace-loving kind of thing to do, but uh, the, uh, so don't do that. Um, now, keep your parable close at hand, because I'm going to ask you a couple questions on this, and in fact, uh, in a moment, I'm going to ask you to react to and unravel that parable a little bit uh, without you're being prejudiced by, by some comments that, that I've brought on that. Uh, but I want to remind us, kind of, I want to situate us in the church calendar. We are, um, uh, we are three Sundays from Advent. Uh, now, a lot of you probably will be traveling on Thanksgiving weekend, but that's really the first Sunday of Advent. And I don't want you to miss that kind of marking because it's really the beginning of the church calendar, a rhythm that we live in uh, throughout the year, but this is the beginning point for us. Um, and, and, in, and in many ways, it's not a surprise, but the lectionary takes us to, uh, to Matthew uh, 25 as one of the options this year. And this is a, a, a chapter in Matthew. Uh, it's it's an apocalyptic chapter, meaning it's a section of text that deals with an unveiling, a revealing, uh, uh, things that perhaps might have been hidden and are now being told. Uh, but it's about the kingdom. It's about the kingdom of God. And, and one of the things that, if you can wrap your mind around this, uh, Jesus came bearing what he would call a gospel. 
And, and that word gospel, is, as, as you probably know, means good news. He, he came bearing good news. So the question is, and it's been debated throughout Christendom for 2,000 years, was what was the good news that Jesus was bringing along? Because he certainly makes a huge deal about it. But honestly, the most clear and real answer to that question is that Jesus came proclaiming a kingdom. Uh, in Matthew's gospel, it's the kingdom of heaven. In other places in the gospels, it's the kingdom of God. But everything seemed to revolve around this declaration that a kingdom was not only coming, but was in our midst. And, and so when we celebrate Advent and the coming of Jesus in flesh, in the world, one of the things that we're celebrating is Jesus' gospel that was marked by a kingdom that had come and had sprung among us. And, and Dan said this in the welcome, that it's a kingdom that captivates us. It, uh, it overwhelms us. It also gets us to the point of where we go, so where is this kingdom? I, I look around and I don't often see it. And so it's a conundrum as well. And I want to recommend something to you. Um, if you, Some of you are on the pub group list. Dan sent out a great article, which I think came from Amy, uh, uh, on a book uh, called, where's Amy? The Procla uh, Proclaiming the Kingdom of God? Right, by a guy named Arias, I think. Um, I would, if you're interested and would like to get like a chapter or two of that, it's only like 25 pages and Incredibly readable. And if you haven't ever kind of pondered this idea of what is the kingdom that Jesus proclaims, we're going to work with it for the next three weeks or so, but uh, that would be a fantastic read. I read it last week and I, it was like a 14-minute read, um, not technical terms, things like that, but it really presses home this idea that Jesus' gospel evangelism was really the proclamation of a kingdom. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't think a lot about kingdoms. Has anybody ever met a king before? I mean, not the Burger King, but, you know, uh, uh, anybody ever met like a real king? I actually do have one kingdom, king meeting moment, and it was in the southern Sudan about 10 years ago and was taken to the dwelling place of the king of a province of the Sudan. I mean, I don't think they would have even considered it the Sudan. It was his kingdom there, and, and it was not overwhelming. Uh, but, it, but I realized as I was sitting in this kind of, it was almost like a tool shed, and it was really interesting. We, we came in, and it's, I guess kingdoms work the same way in lots of places. Uh, there, all the women in the village were working, and there was about 50 men surrounding the king, and they were smoking like a water bong in the middle. And we just kind of sat and kind of hung out with the you know, and it was, it was like I kept saying, what I mean, I've never met a king. I don't, kingdom is not a, a reference point for me. But this is the language that Jesus used time and time and time again. So here are some questions for you. Look at your text. Look at your parable tonight. And I want you to react to a few things. So um, remember, just a quick summary here. We have the kingdom declared as like. And, and this is what's tricky for us. As bold as Jesus was to proclaim a kingdom... I wish you'd have drawn a map or some pictures or some overheads or some PowerPoint. But what we get from Jesus is figurative language, specifically parables, stories, images. And so when he answers the question, what is the kingdom? This is what we get from him, uh, a, a story like this. And this is a story that's the story of ten bridesmaids, five that are deemed foolish, 
Five that are deemed wise. Uh, We have this image of the bridegroom being delayed. That's probably theologically significant. And as they're starting to fall asleep, there are five bridesmaids who have brought plenty of oil, enough to burn candles, torches, lamps throughout the evening. And there are five who just basically said, I don't think the guy's coming tonight. Or if he's coming, he's coming early. Um, and, And they don't have enough. And they ask for the other five and say, could, could you share some oil? And you kind of go, well, that seems like a nice thing to do. And they say, no, we're not sharing oil with you. We might run out. Go to the Lowe's or the Home Depot or something and get your own oil. And they, you know, they're like, well, that might take a while. Um, and, but that indeed is what happens. And so when they're out to buy it, as fate would have it, the bridegroom comes and the door to the banquet is shut. And we have this image of there's a huge party and there are these five, I mean, they're bridesmaids. They're supposed to be there. They're supposed to be announced, their name, their, the whole deal there. But instead, they're outside kind of tapping on the door and the door's shut and they're not let in. Uh, and then we get this kind of soundbite. Truly, I tell you, I do not know you. Keep awake, therefore, for you do not know neither the day nor the hour. Okay. Tell me your thoughts about that parable. Let's, as we often do, you are now invited into the whole interpretation of this thing. What makes you uncomfortable about this story? Uh, what do you think about some of the strong words, um, the images that are a part of this story? What can we say about the kingdom from this? Because this is what Jesus has given us as a way to process the kingdom that was the centerpiece of his ministry. So reactions, things that make you uncomfortable, things that you think are interpretive, things that that your reactions to this story. Yes, sir. So I've been a a first man at quite a few weddings, and I think I'm quite an efficient first man. And so with a wedding, I had a brother and You've been a what? I didn't quite hear that. A best man. Okay, best man. Okay, yeah, yeah, gotcha. And so, and I think I'm pretty efficient, so like... So you make good speeches. The groom, the groom like, never knew if there was a problem. He never knew about it. I fixed it. Okay? So now, I'm just telling you that because I think I'm great, because there's contact. So then, for my wedding, I had my brother, who I'd be his best man, and a friend of mine, I'd be his best man. And they obviously thought being a best man was you just show up, you look pretty, you get in the photographs, end of game. I was like, no, no, no. So, so during the course of the, the day, I kept having to organize things, and I was like, no, 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 this is not my job. I'm I'm the group. My, I just smiled and looked pretty, and I'm pretty windy. They must make things happen. And I was kind of disappointed in it. And so that's how I read this, is like, actually, you know, the groom and the bride, it's their job to like show up and look pretty, and it's the bridesmaid's job to be ready. And otherwise, they're just showing up for the free food. Yeah. So I kind of, I don't think it's so harsh at all. It's like, so five of them were like, oh, well, we're going to help celebrate, we're going to have enough oil, so we'll make sure that it's, you know, we do a great job for our friends. And the other five were like, hey, free food. I don't know, I just don't really feel bad for them at all. Well, there you go. I was feeling a little sad for them this week, but now we know. Thank you. Other reactions. And you guys, I mean, a lot of you, you guys have been in enough weddings to, to know kind of like there's the, the wedding crasher, the wedding freeloader, the wedding servant. The, I mean, there's all these roles that kind of play out, and that, that might be kind of the wedding freeloader side of things. Yeah. Yeah, Travis. So I, I don't know all that much about, like, ancient 
wedding customs or whatever, but it makes me wonder where the who's the bride? Yeah. <laughs> What's the situation with the bride? Is her accent maybe a, a clue or something? I don't know. You know, and that's not a bad kind of gospel reading thing to do, is to ask the question, who's not there that might should be in the story? And that's an interesting one. It's one that I don't have like an immediate, like a reaction to, but it's interesting, very much so. Other thoughts? Oh, yeah, Chancey. Uh, I have two things. Just what is it, you know, the gospel talks about loving your neighbor. But then they're not loving the charity of their oil. So yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's two, there's a couple of things that are really uncomfortable. One of the things that we say here a lot about the kingdom is that our culture lives in a world that's based on competition. There's not enough to go around. So you better be smarter, faster, better looking than everybody else around you, or there won't be room for you in the world, right? And this gospel that we talk about is one that, that defies the idea of scarcity with abundance, you know, crazy farmers that throw seeds all over the place like it's never going to run out. And all of a sudden here we got this kind of story that's like, oh, there's not enough oil to go around. And there are huge consequences. Door is shut as big. Yeah. Hold on to those two thoughts. Other, other reactions? Well, Tim, I think one of the common ways that we understand this, at least I certainly do, is to, um, to read this in terms of who's in and who's not in the kingdom. Um, but I don't know if that's necessarily the way it has to be read. Uh, the kingdom, I mean, this parable starts off saying the kingdom is like this, and the first thing I hear is that it is for people. I don't know that we're told that the bridesmaids who weren't allowed into the uh, wedding um, were, we don't know what happened to them, actually, but, you know, the common idea would be that they weren't allowed in, uh, whether they were therefore excluded forever. Yeah, we're left with the reality that this is an exclusionary tale, isn't it? And, and, and the whole weight of Christendom has spent uh, a couple thousand years disagreeing, but working on the idea of identifying who are the five wicked bridesmaids, so to speak. There's never been a consensus, but there's been some pretty good lists of what it makes to be a wicked bridesmaid, so to speak, which is kind of humorous in and of itself. Uh, it's kind of like an Owen Wilson mo movie in the making there. Uh, but, uh, but, uh, but to some degree, it, it we're struck by the fact that it seems to have this tone of exclusion when, uh, and we have to rattle that around, as, as Chancey's telling us, with other portions of what, what, what was written about the kingdom. But it kind of sits out there, absolutely. Kind of like bad breath at the very end of this whole kind of interesting story. Other thought. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm maybe abusing the text when I say this, but, you know, because I, I sort of want to be a universalist. And, but, so I, so, so I guess the bridegroom is supposed to be Jesus, I, I take it. And then he says, I don't know you. Which we take to mean, get lost. You know, you can't come in. But he doesn't actually say get lost. He doesn't actually shut the door. He just says, I don't know you. And maybe the point is, wouldn't it be better to know him when you get there to his party as opposed to showing up a stranger, whether you're in or not? Yeah. So there's lots of ways to read this. Yeah. That's good. That's good work, Jesse. 
Yeah, Wayman. Well, if it's about oil and that being really important, then most churches I've been in blow it because I didn't see big stockpiles of oil. Um, so then the question would be, is oil something else? So sort of that's one of the things that you kind of ask. Yeah, is there some metaphorical language here? Yeah. Because we don't have much oil here. I don't, I don't know, Julie, do we have oil in the reality building? Probably a fire hazard. <laughs> yeah. Any other reactions? Good thoughts. Yeah, Trick. Now, I would reverse that, though. I think for, um, for Paul, for conservative Protestants, might be the grace guy. But if you're a liberal Protestant, he's the guy that doesn't like women and it does, goes over the top to exclude people. And Jesus is the nice guy who lets people in. And now all of a sudden we've got Jesus closing doors. And, and so it's interesting uh, because, Trigger, you're taking us to a good point here. And it's one of the whole idea of, of we've got to read a lot of stuff. Let me give you guys a little bit of background on this story. And, and, and I, I, I read some good things thanks to smart friends around here. Uh, but, but this is a vivid piece, as, as Trigger's pointing out. It's a vivid, it's an intense piece of literature. It's, a, it's an apocalyptic piece. It's one that envisions this kind of future that we don't fully understand. And, and it's located in Matthew's Gospel. Now, one of the interesting things about Matthew um, is, and some of you know this, but, but Matthew, like the images of what we might call hell or doors being shut, darkness, weeping and gnashing of teeth, exclusion, all of those things, a lot of them come from Matthew's gospel. About 90% of those type, they're in the other gospels, but about 90% of those references come from, from Matthew's gospel. And so this is very much uh, in the vein of the things. And, and, and interestingly, leaf through Matthew's gospel sometime and read the, the, his spin on the stories, and you will see some of these images of, like in this case, there's not enough. I kind of, my, my mind jumped to kind of like a, a wartime scarcity at this point. Or uh, Dan pointed this out in text group. Did you catch the image of the door was shut? Now, can you think of a biblical kind of pointer that that's getting us to? Sunday school story. 
the ark. I mean, I mean, I had nightmares about that ark door being shut. I mean, that was not a, you know, it's like, hey, let's pray to God. And my thoughts were, let's not even think about God because the door was shut. Um, but, but that's the kind of images that, that come out of this, which I think are, 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 are powerful images. Um, and, and we also need to remember that, that Matthew's um, is, is triggered a bunch of folks could tell you here really well. Matthew's audience was very much a audience that came out of the Jewish experience during that time. Here are some things that have happened. There was the Jewish war where Jerusalem was absolutely destroyed. Think about all the apocalyptic movies that are being made now about cities and places being destroyed. I think NBC probably had four shows like that last season. Um, and, and to some degree, um, we have not experienced that a whole lot, but they would have experienced their holy city, their temple, their place, their synagogue, utterly burned and destroyed as a part of the war that they had with the Romans. They also would have experienced bloody persecution from people who were Christian Jews, people who were Christians, people who were Jews. There would have been, in many ways, think about some of the most painful conflicts that you've had in your life. A lot of those are oriented in your own family, right? A brother, a sister, a parent, an uncle. Um, there would have been intense division in their world over this coming of Jesus and the, the prophet who has, has come in that. And so this is kind of the environment that this language was written in. In some ways, I think Matthew was written in blood in many ways. And, and to give you an example, a couple of my favorite writers um, are, um, are, as you well know, J.R.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis. And they have often been gathered together in kind of this uh, wartime authors because they were boys in the Blitz. They were young adults in World War II. They saw their city burned and destroyed. And in many ways, when you read their greatest works, you almost are in kind of a PTSD kind of experience. I mean, you can almost feel their post-traumatic stress syndrome as they saw their world almost kind of burned out. And if you ever read Lord of the Rings, the geography isn't really hard to figure out of who's in the East and where the good people are, they're on an island, and all of these things. Uh, but you feel in the geography of these works, people that had experienced tremendous trauma, upheaval, war, destruction of, of, of precious places. In many ways, Matthew, uh, to get to what Chancey was saying, Matthew, we have to understand, comes out of that vivid, vivid context of, of, of surviving a tremendous upheaval. Now, if we were to kind of hold on to kind of a PTSD lens for Matthew, is there any good thing that can come from that? Uh, I would suggest that we can get a sense of hope from, from that if you understood that that's the language of Matthew. It's the experience of Matthew. That's a hard question, I know, but anybody want to take a stab at that? I mean, what can we get positively from something that was written in blood? It was written in painful experience. It was written in trauma. Thought on that? I have one in mind. I know that's a hard question. Uh, Keenan was watching that HBO series this weekend again, uh, The Pacific. <laughs> I mean, don't watch that. I mean, it's brilliantly done, but don't watch it unless you want to have some nightmares. But there's a, there's a soldier that comes from this unbelievably, incredibly horrible experience. I don't even, I'm not even going to describe how bad it is. But he returns from the war, and he is a man of peace. 
I mean, he is not going to, you could say, he's not going to raise a hand against anyone. And, and in some ways, he has a graciousness, particularly toward race in the South. He's a Southerner and a variety of issues because of the crucible that he has gone through. And I would suggest, and I think this is what Trigger is telling us as well, is that there is a message of grace that comes out of this kind of intense text. And, and note that the next two weeks, we're going to still be in Matthew 25, kind of picking up more of this text. So let's think. What can we say about the kingdom in this kind of 14-verse lens, knowing that we know other things, we've read other things about Jesus' kingdom? What can we say about, um, about the kingdom? And it's interesting, Amy, you raised this point, wherever Amy is. Um, I can't find you tonight, but you're there. I know that. <laughs> but Amy, you raised a really good point this week about the kingdom, that, that sometimes when we think about the kingdom of Jesus, um, there's a reaction that might be like bunnies <laughs> and happiness and yay, it's here. But we don't think about the kingdom being something that you ritualize, something that you work for, something that, is, that, that you have to do to be ready for, so to speak. And there's a ceremonial aspect to this that's really interesting, something that we might miss in our very casual kind of worship gathering type of community, that in some ways it's the story of five people who are prepared and five people who are not prepared. So hold on to that idea that there's something ceremonial, there's something ritualistic, about God's kingdom. And notice, what was one of the things that Jesus blessed to kind of keep us living in the kingdom? He blessed the common meal, the Eucharist meal, the thing that people did all the time, every day, the mundane experience of eating and drinking. But eating and drinking is always a ritual. Every home kind of has a way. Every home kind of has a, a seating order or a, a, a place that you stop or, or the number of times you're allowed to stab chicken in the middle of, of the, the, uh, the table or whatever your rules are. There's always some sort of ritual to that. And so interestingly, I think we're being told that the kingdom has a ritual, an experience to us. And also this, I think hidden in this story are a variety of disciplines, practices that are related to kingdom life. And, um, and I, again, I'm, I'm harking on your comment, Trigger, because it's, it's sometimes we can read portions of the Bible and see the kingdom only as gift and think that there's nothing that I need to do to be a part of God's kingdom. It's, you know, it's sentimentality, it's bunnies, it's thank goodness, so to speak, but to participate in it, and in our culture, I would suggest this is really dangerous. We live in a consumeristic culture where we expect things to be brought to us, and if we don't like the way they've been brought to us, we comment on them, we critique them, and in some ways, hidden in this parable are these images of work. That there was work that needed to be done to prepare for the, the, the bridegroom. That there were acts of preparation. There was, and think about places that you've been. Like I mentioned Zambia. That was the first time as a 24-year-old that I had ever left um, the, the U.S. And it was quite a trip. I mean, you know, it was literally landing in Lusaka, which is, uh, Gail can tell you about Lusaka. It's not the most impressive of capital cities. It's small. It was getting on a truck with 20 people on what we jokingly referred to as Zambia Road West uh, for about eight hours and landing in the middle of kind of a, just a, a, a way, I mean, like a way out there kind of place. And, and one of the 
the first things that you experienced there was we were chopping things down with axes and we were with teenagers and college students and we had to say pretty quickly, if you break the axe, the next thing we'll be doing is fixing the axe. There are no more axes. Uh, axe heads are like, you know, they're, they're, they're not any more of those around here. There's the three of them and we've got them. Um, and then watching meals. And, and, you know, and for me, I'm kind of one of those people who loves to just show up and food be ready, uh, so to speak. But meals were an all-day preparation experience. And so the first night, we were dipping something in ketchup. And I think the idea was, we've got these Americans here who better have some ketchup. And I started reflecting on this, kind of going, there wasn't like the Hunt's bottle of ketchup. But the people that I was watching all day long were making ketchup. This was like a a half-day process for for making ketchup. And the chickens that we ate, somebody chased them through the village and grabbed them and wrung their necks and plucked them and cooked them. And it wasn't like, I'll have like the three dark and two biscuits kind of experience. It was somebody worked such that there was chicken for us that night. And so interestingly, this image of the kingdom that's coming through to us now is one that to appreciate, to notice, to experience the kingdom, it involves the disciplines of work, the disciplines of intensive preparation. And to some degree, and Spark was such a good song for this, this idea of alertness, of that if you don't prepare, if you don't work, if you don't participate in this, you will not notice the work of the kingdom. And one of the things I'll remind you of, we say this a lot at Emmaus Way, I consider what we do on Sunday evenings, a discipline of the kingdom. It's a discipline of alertness to hopefully show up, not just to hang out with friends, but to hear each other's stories, to cry together, to hug together, to embrace each other, but to realize that if we're going to have a thread of redemption in our lives, if we're going to be able to say God is moving and God is at work, you are not always going to bring that experience, but you are going to hear that experience in the lives of others and the experiences of others. So to some degree, this is a practice. This is a, this is a work. This is an act of the kingdom as we hear each other's voices, as we connect with each other. And the table itself, as, as, uh, as Amy will remind us again tonight, is a practice. It's a work of the kingdom. So here we are. We're left with a story that has some really intense images. Images that, in some ways offend our notions of grace, our notions of exclusion, uh, with this, uh, our notions of inclusion with this story of exclusion. And many of you have told us, Jesse's told us, Robert's told us, uh, there's lots of ways to read that and experience that. But to some degree, there is some shock value to the story. And part of the shock value, and Andrew has reminded us that maybe wicked bridesmaids need to be left out. Uh, but, uh, but there is some shock value to the story, and that is that the kingdom that Jesus is talking about, the kingdom that Jesus is saying is among us, is one that we have to work, we have to practice, we have to be together to notice and participate in that kingdom. So one of the thoughts I'm going to leave you with tonight is the idea of what are your practices of the kingdom? Uh, what helps us not live as kingdom consumers? 
Hopefully there's some good people in my life who bring some kingdom stuff. What are the things that we do that help us lean into the kingdom? And one thing I would remind you of is the list of what kingdom practice looks like is always too small. One of the things that I find when I meet with people is they'll say, I'm just not doing anything spiritual right now. And then they'll list like eight things that they're doing. So many times we've marked a few things as incredibly and desperately sacred. And we miss other decisive acts that give us the perspective and lens that we have of the kingdom. So next week and the week after, we will continue in this apocalyptic thread of imagining Jesus' kingdom. One last plug, when it really encourage you, I can get, you can get this from me or Dan or others. If you'd like to read something really good on this, give us an email and we'll send you out a good little soundbite on what the, the gospel of the kingdom is about. That'll be well worth your time in reading. And, and let we, as, as Wade gets ready to lead us uh, tonight into confession and absolution, Pray with me as that we might be participants, that we might be workers, we might be those who notice the kingdom among us. Let's pray. God, thank you for your mercy, your grace, your goodness, and your kindness. Uh, in many ways, it is clear why you told stories is the idea of the kingdom, regardless of the culture who was hearing about it, there was always some sense of reservation or some sort of pushback that said, surely that can't be the kingdom or surely the kingdom can't look like that. Perhaps for us, it's our sense of immediacy. It's our sense of, of uh, instant receptivity that we remind ourselves that, there, that, that perhaps things that are religious should make us feel good but aren't things that we work for. Help us to deeply mark our practices as kingdom practices. Uh, for these friends around the room here who do such an amazing job of caring for each other, listening to each other, cooking food for each other, gathering with each other, serving with each other, help us to understand that all of those things fit into um, the acts of the disciples the acts of those who, uh, who receive the kingdom. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks, Tim. As we look at our confession and absolution tonight, which we're going to do musically, as we often do, uh, we're going to do a song of Mark. Uh, Mark Williams, is, uh, you guys know Mark um, from our community. You probably don't know some of you that he has a couple records out already and um, that he has a new one that he's going to put out pretty soon. But this is from one he released a few years back. Um, uh, called Becoming the Moon, and uh, he gave us his blessing. He and Katrina are up in uh, upstate New York, uh, going over to Montreal for a little bit for some work for her. But anyway, um, this song, All Else Had Failed, is sort of, uh, I think, a, a, a good confession because it works on our idea that if we, if we give up on this idea of the kingdom, if we give up on the idea that love is really the thing that's going to make, uh, as Sparks says, uh, the world turn around, if we, if we can't see that, if we buy into the decline narrative that the world is just going to hell in a handbasket and that's it. That if we don't know and see that there is hope for what God's bringing that, um, that we really will have lost a ton. And so this is uh, about that. All else had failed. And uh, I'll do the chorus a few times so that uh, if you'd like to join in, uh, we'd love to have you. It's a pretty simple song. I met a man at his 6 a.m. meeting who had given up hope so it seemed He bought a house in the woods He stockpiled his goods He said, that's not enough, so I'm leaving 
Gonna go off real soon to an island Where no one else lives Stoop down with my hand Draw a line in the sand Is there a danger where no one else is? He said crying most powerful men in the world they're lying well i'll hop in my ship push off and set sail in a world where i'll never be reached by the gale in that world you'll never be able to tell love had succeeded when all else had See, I read all these stats in the papers Saying this world has gone to the dogs Well, people get shot up, people get bought up But I think all hope is not lost So sometimes I will catch myself dreaming Of a time when we that this here is true Needs no more proof That life is just here for redeeming So if the taxes are due And the babies are crying More powerful men in the world They're lying And if we hop in our ships Push off and set sail For a world will there never be reached by the gale In that world we'll never be able to tell Love had succeeded when all else had Most powerful men in the world, they're lying Think I'll hop in my ship Shop and set sail for a world Never be reached by the gale But in that world we'd never be able to tell That love had succeeded when all said years ago uh, we did the song You Are the Light um, and uh, we're going to do it again tonight um... uh, so um, if you haven't heard this one the, the, the chorus is really easy to pick up we'll do that several times um, 
and uh, hopefully it'll be reminiscent of our uh, candle lighting we did early as uh, your absolution again tonight. You are the light in my dark world. You are the fire that will always burn. You are the light. You are the light. You are the light in my dark Let's do that again. You are the light in my dark Gonna give us all some vision Yeah, you know how to let go When I can't stand on my own Oh, but don't let go now You are the light in my dark world from this parable to the table that is set before us, um, I know it can seem like that might be um, 
a stretch, considering what we just talked about, that in this parable, our ideas of abundance, our ideas of scarcity, our ideas of grace have been challenged. Um, but I wanna, what I want us to look at as we go to the table tonight and we talk about the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God is the idea of participation. In the story, we have um, two descriptions of the bridesmaids. We have a foolish group and we have a wise group. And as we know, as we read in the parables, um, the kingdom of God is about everything turning on its head. And so as we, as we go to the table, I want us to think more about what it means to be a foolish person, what it means to be a wise person, and how, when we think about it, we're all both. I know that there's times that I look back at a week and I look at the table and I say, this table was not laid for me. I know there are times that I look at it and I say, I need this table. And I know there are times where there's nothing that I would not rather do than go to the table. But what I think we need to look at is the words of the bridesmaids that come in verse 11. They say, Lord, Lord, open to us. And the fact is, is that is exactly what Jesus does. Now the words that we end this parable with are harsh. They say, you know, keep awake. You know neither the day nor the hour. But in the breaking of bread and the pouring of wine and juice for one another, we witness to the fact that Lord has opened to us. Our Lord Jesus, on the night before he died, took the cup, he poured it, he said, take this every time when you think of me in remembrance of me. He broke the bread and he passed it and he said, when you eat this bread, do so in remembrance of me. And the breaking of the, his body and the pouring of his blood, the lines between wisdom and the lines between foolishness, they get blurred. And so what we do for one another at the table as we serve one another, we say, here I am, wise one. Here you are, foolish one. Here I am, foolish one. Here you are, wise one. Would you help me be better? Would you help me practice this kingdom? Would you help me know what it means to say, Lord, Lord, open to us? What we are going to do tonight before we go to the table is we're going to stand and sing the benediction song together. At Emmaus Way, we, we celebrate an open table. And so I invite you to stand. And after we finish the song, I invite you to go to the table to pour wine and juice for one another and to celebrate the kingdom that is among us. This uh, hymn is taken from the um, friend Carl Rook took the melody from uh, Come Thou Found of Every Blessing. So sing with me uh, as it was in the beginning. As it was in the beginning, so it is now and shall ever be, world without end, alleluia, alleluia, amen. Glory be to God the Father, glory be to God the Son.
Also, uh, go in God's peace tonight.